Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everybody. Happy Saturday. Hello. 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 All right, I'm going to uh, take some roll. I want to see how many people's voices I just recognize. I heard uh, Brian Bucchiarelli. Woohoo! I heard Tom. Yep. I heard Lisa. Here, yes. Um, I see Stephen is on the call. Uh, here. Uh, I think Kelly is on the call. I'm here. I say, let's see who else. Who else is on the call? Patsy's here. Is that Anina's here? All right, and Anina. Mar, are you on the call? Hey, Jesse. Yeah. I I don't know if you're aware that the the email that went out this morning, the reminder about the class, the call the call in code is actually incorrect. One three four six. It's not one three four six zero five. It says one three five six zero five. Oh no! Oh, okay. So I'm just saying, if someone's missing, I don't know if it's because they're trying to dial in. Okay. Well, do me a favor. If someone is missing, I see Chris Tompkins is on the call. Hey, Chris. Uh, if someone's missing from our group, uh, we'll have people send out text messages with the uh, right calling code. Um, but let's just do finish with um, uh, finish with. Role. So Mar is missing. Mike Marinkovich. Mike Marinkovich, not yet. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm getting text messages from people saying the code's wrong. Hold on, guys. One, three, four, six, zero, five. Pound. I'm uh, Southeast Michigan, so that is uh, Brandon. Mr. Brandon, hello. Hi. Uh, let me. Uh, I'm just going to send a text message out to the second group because they don't usually use this number. So uh, just make sure everybody has it. Send it to Jen. Send it to um, Martha. Uh, that's the. Right. Are you calling roll? Yes, I am. Are you here, Martha? This is Jen. Oh, Jen. Oh, you Oh, you made it. Okay. So Jen's on. Okay, I see a New York number coming in. That's probably Mark Gregor. Um, hey, Jesse. In the yeah. email that was sent out, it said the dial-in number was 135605, and it's 134605. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. Got it. Uh, but I think everybody is 
on except for is Martha, are you here? Okay. I just sent it to Martha. Uh, I have a couple more people. So from the first group, we have Brian, Tom, Lisa, Stephen, Kelly, Patsy, Mina, Chris Tompkins. I think Dushant might be listening in. Uh, Mar, are you back? Are you here yet? No? Patsy, could you just text message Mar the right code? Mike Marinkovich, are you here? I just sent Mike the code. Okay, cool. Um, and I don't know who else we would be missing from that group. One. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Martha. And that everybody. Martha. Okay, she made it. Okay, good. Martha's here. So Brandon, Jen, Mark, and Martha. I think Silky is still in the Philippines. Zach is um, Speedo Batman for Halloween in Australia right now. Uh, and we have Brandon, Jen, Mark, Martha. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, everybody. Okay. So uh, if, when... Um, Mark calls in. We will be good to go. So uh, we're going to start right off the bat <coughs> with uh, Jennifer's teachings today. So Jennifer, you are on the call. Hello. Good morning. Aloha. And, uh, aloha. And Jennifer, you just completed um, a whole series of teachings um, with uh, four light workers, right? Called um, was, was it the uh, Stop Playing Small series? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you want to share a little bit about that? Because it, people can still access some, uh, access some of the teachings, right? They're all free, and you can go and listen online, or you can get the downloads, and the transcripts are coming. That's great. So yeah, where do they go to find that? Uh, go to jenniferhadley.com. Cool. And... Uh, if you can't find it on the home page, then go to the events page. Cool. Stop playing okay. small. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite quite wonderful. That's great. I was listening. I heard in uh, – I'm, my intention is to go back and listen to them uh, today and tomorrow while I'm painting. I was going to paint the room and listen to your teaching. But I just heard like a snippet of uh, your teaching from yesterday, and I got to tell you – it just reminds me, every time I hear you, you in your zone when you're really teaching, I, I'm uh, reminded of how grateful I am to uh, have access to you and have you as a teacher. So I'm grateful that there's, there's people like you out there uh, teaching people, Jennifer, because you have got the good. Well, I'll tell you what, what the series was about um, in some ways. Uh, and I, I, I mean, if you, if you feel like, if anyone who's listening right now feels like you're playing small in some area of your life, uh, these are really free teachings to help you to transcend that habit. And um, one of the things that I shared in the two classes that I did by myself is that. Um, a lot of light workers feel, and a light worker is really just anyone who intends to be a loving presence in the, their life, in their world. Uh, but a lot of us have felt that we wasted our life. And one of the things that consistently I see is many people who uh, are doing this work 
that we're all doing, which is we're waking up, we're becoming our true selves, and we're eliminating the habits in our mind of the negative patterns and beliefs that cause our suffering. And as we recognize, oh, my God, every thought I think has power. I have the choice to make myself miserable or to be a loving presence in this world. And so often I've chosen to be a negative presence in this world and to torture myself. You know, a lot of people wake up and they start to recognize the amount of suffering that they have caused. And um, people feel like, oh, my God, I've wasted my whole life. I've just wasted and wasted, you know, and particularly a lot of people who are older because I have a huge range of people, people in my classes who are even in their 80s and 90s. And people will say, oh, my God, I wasted the majority of my life or I wasted the best years of my life. And what I teach in my classes is that I, every amount of suffering, everything I did that was unloving, every gnarly thing I got myself into mentally, emotionally, physically, energetically, I'm now harvesting the learning from, which I've been doing for a while now. And so every time that I come upon some choice that I made in my history that was less than loving, I choose to learn from it now. So I never feel like it's a wasted moment. Even if I spent years repeating the same habits, you know, trying to learn the same thing, most basic lesson, I once you get it, you go, okay, I got it. That's what it took for me to learn it. And as soon as you start turning around and really walking the talk and living the love in your life and sharing from that place, that all the years that you wasted, it's they become a gift to you because you've learned an essential thing and then you see there's no waste. You see that time has nothing on you and time is not even real and it, you really can transcend it. So anybody who's doing this work in the beginning, sometimes you can really get caught up in that thought, I wasted, I wasted, I wasted, and it just, it'll never be true. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much. And some of us, you know, we're um, reading in our, uh, in the first group, we're reading testimony of light. And mm-hmm. so we're even having the conversation now of um, of continuing to evolve, even when we're not in this body and how it's just a misperception that, you know, when this body expires, the learning stops or we wake up and we get it all, you know, like, oh, now I understand everything. It's easier without the limitations, but it's really, I've been really contemplating that. And especially after what you just said, too, is even with that, like, we, can, we still continue to learn. We still continue to uh, become more self-aware. It's really interesting. And oh, yeah. relieving. <laughs> exactly. So, um, would you like to pray us in, Jennifer? I would love to have that honor. Thank you. 
Oh, what a blessing it is. What a joy and a blessing it is to come together for the purpose of remembering the truth that sets us free. What a joy it is to come together to love ourselves more fully and to love ourselves free of any limiting thought whatsoever, known or unknown, felt or not felt, seen or not seen, recognized or unrecognized, operating in our life, all thoughts that aren't true. We consciously intend to let them fall away, to no longer invest in them. And we're grateful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self, our true identity, I am that I am. And in the name of the beloved I am that I am, I call forth all manner of support from the invisible, the company of heaven, our ancestors, and all that is holy. I invite them to walk with us and talk with us here in this moment and every day along the way. So grateful and thankful to consciously join together for the purpose of recognizing we're all already as perfect and as holy as holy can be. We're as perfect as perfect can be, and we're willing to forget any other idea of ourselves. We're willing to see it for our brothers and sisters, and we are grateful and thankful for everything just as it is. In grace and gratitude, we open ourselves to a Niagara Falls of insight, wisdom, clarity, joy, freedom, knowing that our insights are ours forever and that we are fully available, fully receptive in this moment. We share the benefits of our awakening, our healing, our willingness with everyone because we're one with them. And in gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. So sweet. So, Jennifer, it's I hand it to you. All right. Um, I just uh, I just want to write something down here. One second. I, uh, Jesse asked me if I would speak on the topic of the job of a spiritual practitioner within a church and a spiritual community and the difference between spiritual counseling and therapy. So I'm going to just tell you a little bit about my history as a way to help you understand what you're stepping into. And I am a licensed practitioner in the agape community. And so I had two years of pre-practitioner training classes and then two years of practitioner training uh, in order to complete the requirements for my licensing. And we had a series of exams all the way with every class 
And then we also had uh, what they call oral panels, where um, three practitioners or two, one minister and two practitioners would um, sit with us for an hour and ask us questions to determine our consciousness and whether or not we had met that, I'll just say, for lack of a better word right now, standard um, for the community. And then we were licensed, and there was a, uh, we got a, an official license if we passed both all our written exams and our oral panel. And then we had a very sacred ceremony that, uh, where we were initiated into the sacred order of practitioners. So that might be a, a title that you, uh, a word that you may or may not be unfamiliar with, uh, order, an order. Uh, it's, it's a group who are officially like a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a, a group of people who are committed to something in order. So um, you can think of monks and nuns. Uh, and you can also think of ministers as having ordination. And so uh, in the agape community, uh, which is a church legally, and in the science of mind community, the practitioners are part of the ecclesiastical body. And in the science of mind community, the Centers for Spiritual Living community it's called now, or religious science community, um, those organizations, they have two, two aspects, two arms, if you will, to their ecclesiastical body. So these are the official legal representatives of the church, and they hold responsibilities in the organization. And so the ministers are the higher order of the ecclesiastical body, and then the practitioners serve the ministers and they serve the congregation. And the ministers serve the practitioners and the congregation. And so when I was, uh, oh, I can't remember now, perhaps I have been licensed for a year or two, the agape practitioner community, the body of the sacred order of practitioners, it became, um, we decided to rewrite our vows. And so uh, we had several meetings, perhaps two, maybe three, where uh, the whole group of practitioners met. So that was hundreds of people. And uh, we spent the entire, as I recall, the entire day, both times. Um, and of course, they had meetings prior to the, the smaller um, governing groups, leadership, probably had numerous meetings before we had our meetings with the whole body of practitioners to write our vows. And we went through a process of writing vows. And this is something that I have done with churches and their boards and things like that. And it's wonderful. And uh, when we... Uh, were when the Inspire community was called Project Service LA, 
we had uh, several afternoons that we spent, or whole days, I think, as I recall now, where we, uh, those who were interested, who were active in the community, we gathered together to write our credo and to look at our mission statement. And they were powerful, beautiful days. So here are the vows that we wrote on those days. And, it, and then we'll break it down. So I'm, just, I'm going to break it down as we go. I'll read the whole thing. And then you'll have that on the recording. And then we can break it down. So the agape practitioner vows are, we, the practitioners, the healing arm of the Agape International Spiritual Center, consecrate our lives to these principles. Here are the principles. To practice the presence of God. To center ourselves through daily meditation and affirmative prayer. To behold the fullness of God in all as all. To serve God through teaching, healing, and revealing the truth to dwell in unconditional love, peace, and thanksgiving, to dedicate ourselves to spiritual unfoldment, to surrender to divine wisdom in joyous celebration. And so it is, and so we let it be. So the practitioners are the healing arm of the Agape International Spiritual Center. And they're saying we consecrate our lives which is we, we join, we, we marry our life to the practice of these principles. And the first one is to practice the presence of God. So what does that really mean? <clears throat> we can have an intellectual understanding of what spiritual teachings are. <clears throat> And many of us do. For And this is one of the things that I was talking about in the Stop Playing Small class called How to Break the Habit of Playing Small. I was talking about how I had such a clear intellectual understanding of spiritual teachings. It was very easy for me. Law of cause and effect, oneness of all life, how prayer works. Bam, it just was like, yep, 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 got it, makes sense. I could turn right around and teach it and explain it to anybody. It was just, that was so easy for me. And I didn't struggle with it at all. It just felt natural and easy to me. However, it took me many, many, many years to begin to actually practice it, to practice what I knew or thought I knew. And in my willingness to practice the presence, I began to realize I don't know this at all. An intellectual understanding of something is not knowing it. They are two completely different things. And in spiritual terms, we are not practicing the presence if we know that the law of cause and effect is always operating in our life. So we, if we know that every thought that we think, everything that we believe, and every choice that we make, we are 100% responsible for everything that ripples out from it. So Venerable, she will often use the image of a perfectly still lake. 
and every thought that you believe that you entertain in your mind and give energy to, give your awareness to, shine your light into, will then become made manifest some way, shape, or form in your life. And that's the ripples on the pond. So your mind is that clear, pristine lake and everything that you choose to think. Because you don't think things unless you choose to think it. And that's one of the things that I teach is to get in the gap between recognizing, oh, this thought has come into my awareness and I have chosen or decided to think it. So once we decide to think the thought, then it starts rippling out. And we often prefer to say, oh, the circumstances in my life are causing my joy, my upset, my freedom, my poverty, my problems, my hurt, my pain, my whatever. But it's just not even possible. It's not even remotely possible for circumstances to make us feel anything because every circumstance in our life is rippling out from our awareness. So how could circumstances cause anything? The causation is always in our mind. So practicing the presence literally means being awake to that all the time. And the only person I've ever met who is awake to it all the time, the only person that I've ever personally known who's awake to it all the time is Venerable, and that's why she's my teacher. She, I've listened to her for <clears throat> hundreds and hundreds of hours, and I've spent hundreds of hours personally with her in her presence, and I've never heard her say anything that could ever in any way Certainly not intentionally, but it couldn't in any way, by her intention, cause any kind of negative effect. She's so pristine in her choice of what she thinks. She doesn't speak without thinking. She doesn't do that. And she doesn't think without being aware, because she's really done that super-duper cleaning in her mind, and she also came in to this dimension to hold the space for us. Her birth was prophesied, and she has been a spiritual leader and teacher in the Native American traditions and in the Buddhist traditions for many, many, many lifetimes, thousands of years. So thousands of years. So she's she's been practicing this for a long time, and that's why it's so valuable to have time with someone, just to be in the room with them, just to hear the sound of their voice is healing. So that's what we're going for, practicing the presence of God, <clears throat> which means coming back to ourselves, you know, it might be 500 times a day. You're bringing your mind back to practicing the presence. For me, when I started, it was many hundreds of times a day correcting. Oh, there I drifted. There I drifted. I was blaming someone else. Oh, there I drifted. I was trying to manipulate someone else. Oh, there I drifted. And any time that you feel in any way disturbed, you feel less than peaceful and harmonious, 
you're not practicing the presence. So it's not that you shame yourself for not practicing the presence. It's simply that, oh, I can choose to practice the presence and go back to my true identity, which is the presence, and I can be in harmony again. So part of our journey in studying to be a practitioner is to really value harmony and peace above all else. And you probably, if you're like me, you you discover how much you don't value harmony and peace, how much you actually have built a habit of valuing upset and distress and resentment and regret and guilt and blame and shame. And one of the things that, like just some of the things that people do is they will literally choose to drink or eat something. It's always in the physical realm. We choose to eat, drink, or do something like some sexual activity or some emotional activity, some activity like eating or drinking that we actually know is harmful to our physical being or, or it's disrespectful, it's unkind. And we do that in order to feel more ashamed and guilty because that has become comfortable for us. So the practitioner is willing to practice the presence and be aware, oh, wow, I feel really drawn to abusing myself right now in some way. I feel really drawn to um, self-medicating right now. So it's not about ever trying to motivate or control ourselves with shame and blame and negative thoughts, but just to continuously be practicing the presence of ever-expanding awareness of all the ripples of all our choices. And then I'm going to pause there and just see if anybody has a question before I go to the next one. All right. Jennifer, may I just say, I really like how you said that you're actually, that oftentimes we're actually invested in holding the resentment and feeling angry and whatever, because I feel like Something I hear a lot is, um, or maybe you could shine a little clarity on this, the idea of honoring what's coming up, honoring the feelings that are coming up, because you don't want to pretend that you're not angry. You know, you don't want to pretend that you're not whatever. But what's the difference between honoring them and then dwelling in them? Well, in this human experience, that's a really good question, Jesse. In, in our human experience here, this world, this illusory world that we're participating in, it has a particular curriculum. And we signed up for it. We said, oh, my God, that just sounds fantastic. Oh, yes, I want in on that adventure. Oh, how did I get in on that? And, and in this world, the, the, one of the most basic fundamental things is that we have a personality, we have a physical body, and that this, there's a system of karma, and that if we make a choice that's unloving, we will experience that. 
do unto others as you would have done unto you, because what you do to others will be done to you. Basic law of karma. And that we can actually choose our belief systems. We can make decisions about how we're going to view life. We can actually create a lens in our awareness through which we view life. Uh, That lens could be, you know, all people of this color, gender, sexuality, whatever, are less good than me or more good than me. (laughs) You know, better and worse. It's always about better and worse. And, uh, or, you know, better than, less than. Separation, always about that. So we signed up for this adventure to have a greater understanding of the oneness and to understand what it's like to be the creator God because we create, in a sense, we create our world. It's still an illusion, but we do create it by our thoughts and beliefs. Ask me your question again, Jesse. What is the difference between honoring the feelings and emotions that come up, so not denying that you're experiencing something, and dwelling in them? So when we think a thought, which we're choosing our thoughts all day long, our, our belief system, which is all beliefs are the residue of our karma from previous incarnations, and our belief system magnetizes into our awareness the thoughts that are congruent with it. And then all day long we have a choice to think the thoughts that are magnetized into our awareness or to discard them. So in, we can take, oh, I'm feeling, oh, I'm feeling awful right now. What's going on? And we might think, oh, I know why I'm feeling awful. It's because so-and-so hasn't returned my phone call. And I'm so upset because they haven't returned my phone call. They're disrespecting me. They're just, they're not really my friend or they're not really my sweetheart. They don't love me. They don't care about me. They're taking, whatever the thoughts are, we can continue to think those thoughts and pour our light and energy into them and make them seem so real. And then we do, when we do, because like attracts like, we just keep thinking more thoughts like that, attracting more and more of them into our mind. And then what naturally happens if we don't interrupt that process by practicing the presence, then what happens is we become emotionally disturbed because we are giving ourselves full permission to place our precious energy, which is our awareness, into thoughts that are true. So we feel upset and bothered. And then if we don't interrupt the pattern there, it goes into our physical body and we start to feel agitated and uh, sick and all those different things. And then very often, in order to stop all that upset, that we're adding fuel to the fire to, we, will, we don't know how to interrupt the pattern with our mind. We're not willing to interrupt the pattern with our mind. So instead we do it by self-medication of some form. I'm going to distract myself. I'm going to deaden myself. I'm going to dull my senses. But the, the more direct thing is to interrupt the pattern when it's starting in the mind and say, I'm not interested in thinking those thoughts anymore. They don't serve 
me practicing the presence. They don't serve my life of love. I'm, I don't want to ripple that out into my world. I've done that a hundred million thousand times. I already know what will come of it. I call it getting on the pain train and you don't realize you can get off. Uh, you know, you think you just have to take it all the way to Margaritaville, but you don't. You can get off. And so what happens is if we believe we're not worthy of love, we're not worthy of respect, if we disrespect ourselves, we're affirming I'm not worthy of love, I'm not worthy of respect. Other people will treat us that way, and then we might get mad at other people, but like attracts like. So what I can tell you is that a lot of people fall into the the habit. Almost everybody is habitually, if anybody who's upset, it's a habit. It's a habit of choosing the same thoughts again and again. And people like to go down that road of upset and Margaritaville, the pain train, all those different things, because it's familiar. It actually feels in a crazy way safe because they know what's going to happen. And they like feeling powerless. They like feeling like I'm bad, I'm wrong, and there's nothing I can do. Because if we recognize, and this is the practitioner journey, if we recognize I am the one who has power, there's nobody in my life, not one person, whoever has or will walk the earth can ever have any power over me unless I give it to them. If I take my power and I say, here, now you have power over me, I'm still the one who did that. There's no one who has power in your life, literally. Just you. Just you. So there's a lot of people are terrified by their power because they are habitually choosing negative thoughts and they don't wish to really live a life of torturing themselves and other people and cycling in blame and shame all day long, but they're not willing to interrupt the pattern. So there's this, you can, wallowing in it, it just feels natural to people. It feels so familiar. It literally feels like home. Ah, yes, I know this. This is so familiar. Believe me, I, I've spent thousands of days and nights in that place. Thousands. And then I realized I don't want to do it anymore. And then once you realize, I don't want to do that anymore, then you go through an experience of choosing it and not choosing it, choosing it and not choosing it, choosing it and not choosing it, so that you can learn contrast. Oh, this is what happens when I choose it, and this is what happens when I choose practicing the presence. This is what happens when I choose to blame others for my problems, and this is how it feels when I choose to take responsibility. And through going back and forth and back and forth, we see the contrast between the two until it comes clearer and clearer in our mind. I can only choose love if I wish. I can only choose to be happy if I wish. And more and more, we just choose that. And that's the practicing the presence. 
And in the beginning of the journey, it feels such a burden, right? It feels like such a burden to be responsible for every thought you choose to think and everything in your experience, to blame no one for anything, including yourself, but just to live in 100% responsibility. In the beginning, that just feels like a 10-ton weight, like it's impossible. But you know what? Here's the thing. We have this illusion that we're a separate being, that we are our body, that we are our personality, and we're not. And our journey is about waking up and remembering who we really are. So we start if we start actively disidentifying with the body and the personality and our past, it's amazing how quickly when we start to choose with identifying with the presence that we can recalibrate because like does attract like. So if we are really willing to be vigilant and to not blame anyone for anything, past, present, or future, and to just stand in, I am the God of my world. I've created all of this. Look how powerful I am. Now what would I like to make manifest in my life? What is the intention of my life? What is the purpose and direction of my life? I'm the one that decides that. And to then keep choosing that again and again and train yourself out of it. So the wallowing, it's a necessary part of our journey. So we realize how attractive it is to be caught in that whirlpool that sucks us right down. I know in the times when I felt completely overwhelmed with negativity, self-medication, self-sabotage, anger, resentment, every negative thing you can think of, when I felt that intensity and I just, the only thing I could think of to do that would alleviate it was to self-medicate. Smoking, drinking, watching television. I was never promiscuous because I just, I'm way too sensitive and it just shatters my whole vibration to engage in sex with someone I don't care about. So I just, I just can't do it. It's like, it's worse than getting crazy drunk. It's, the effect on my physical being. So, um, but for me, that's what I would do. I would drink and smoke and eat too many salty things and stay up way too late watching something that doesn't even matter to me. Like that was the worst thing that I could do to myself to completely distract myself from being awake. And when I would do that, there was a certain sense of, this is this is all I got. I'm being pulled down in a whirlpool. And if I were to die tonight in this, you know, self-loathing experience, please just write on my tombstone these words. Tell them I tried. I really, really tried, but I just couldn't do it. I wanted to do it, and I tried so hard, but I just couldn't do it. That's how I felt. So that to me is that wallowing thing. And it's not bad to wallow. It's not bad. It's just an experience that we'll learn from. So we can learn from choosing negative experiences and creating all kinds of 
disharmony in our life and poverty and lack and fear and doubt and worry and shame and regret and resentment, we'll learn from all of it. We can also learn from choosing love and choosing joy and choosing harmony and choosing to treat ourselves like the sacred treasure of God that we are. And so that's the thing, that's the practitioner journey is to ping pong back and forth and learn from the contrast. But neither, uh, but but wallowing in it isn't bad. And it's not even really wrong. It's wrong thinking. But if you learn from it, like if you're sitting there in your uh, stinky diaper mess of your life, and you're like, this just is the piss. Like, what kind of loser am I that I would have created this experience for myself? Just say, just in that moment, flip the switch in your mind, choose the light, and remember that when you walk in a room that's pitch black and you turn on the light, the light doesn't have to ask the darkness to go. The light, you don't have to say before you turn on the light switch in a completely dark room, no matter how pitch black it is, you don't have to say, darkness, I'm going to be turning on the light here. Now, I'm not going to argue with this with you about this, you have to go when I turn on that light. You have to go. And I mean it. So here we go. I'm flipping the switch. No. You flip that switch, you know that light's going on. And the same is true for us. It's true for us as well. And so flipping that switch is recognizing nothing wrong has happened. You are not bad. You can never be made bad. That's not who you are. You are the light. And here's an experiment for you to try, okay? So what we have, you know, in our world, we have built into our system of this illusion constant reminders of the truth. All the time, in so many millions of ways, we don't even recognize most of them consciously. But one of the best ways is the sun. So the sun doesn't go out. The sun doesn't say, hey, I'm taking a break. I'm going to another galaxy. I'll come back after a while. You people are tiring me out. No, the sun is constant. And so and the sun rises and sets every day, offering us contrast every single day. And even in the darkest of the night, somewhere the moon is shining. The stars are shining. There's that light is there. So... In uh, our human experience, if you just try, just try to make anything adhere to sunlight. Just see if you can do it. Just see if you've ever seen anyone adhere anything to the sunlight. And then if you think of the light coming from a light bulb anywhere in your home, let's say, you can adhere things to the light bulb. Of course you can. Put a shade over the light. You can completely... um, cover the whole light so that you can't even see it in the room. But can you actually get anything to adhere to the beams of light? No, no one can. You can filter the light, which is a way of blocking the light in some way. But the light itself, you can't actually diminish it or get anything to adhere to it. So... The same is true for every one of us because we are pure light. Do 
You were going to say something? I, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I heard something. Hmm. So, any, any questions there? Because that was my conclusion. <laughs> All right, so then the next thing in the vows is to center ourselves through daily meditation and affirmative prayer. And so there's a basic practice that people are saying they're going to agree to. They're vowing to do that. And the next one is to behold the fullness in God, of God in all as all. So to recognize we're all one and the fullness of spirit is everywhere present, omnipresent, and that every single one of us is made in the spiritual image and likeness of God. And then it says to serve God through teaching, healing, and revealing the truth. So to me, what I say is I'm always teaching the efficacy of what I believe. So if I believe that people are not worth my love and attention, that's what I'm teaching. If I'm teaching that everyone deserves my compassion, that's what I'm teaching. I mean, if I'm living, however I'm living is what I'm teaching. And that's essential for everyone to understand on this practitioner path, that there is no moment that you're not demonstrating and teaching. There's just no moment. Everybody's watching you. And... That's one of the reasons why people drop out of practitioner programs and ministerial programs is because they don't feel worthy. They don't feel like they can either make consistently loving choices or take responsibility when they don't make consistently loving choices. So for me, one of the practices is, yeah, there are times when I do not make the loving choice or the most loving choice. And I can see that it has had some effect. I take responsibility for it. I do my practice. And there are times when I definitely, it, it's a, the, the right course of action for me to say, hey, I made a less than loving choice there. I'd like to correct that now. And to, to say that to people. And I do find myself saying that. Somebody, one of the people on my staff the other day said, you know, Jennifer, you're not really a really good manager. You're not. And I said, you got, that's true. You have, I, I, I would concur with you. Management is not my strength, and I aspire to do better every day, and I'm open to any and all assistance in being a better manager. I, I'm not a great manager. But I didn't take it as she was attacking me or she was, she was in the moment, she wanted to blame me, my fault. I wasn't a better manager. But I, I'm, I'll be the first person to say that is not the highest of my skills. I have many, many skills. That's not in the top ten. And yet, I'm the leader of a global ministry. So being honest and authentic, you're teaching people, you know what? You don't have to be 
the best at something to endeavor to do your best. That's teaching. Now, it also says healing. We're a healing presence when we're choosing love. Anyone is. I cannot heal other people, but I can heal myself. But I can't heal other people, and I've never claimed to be able to heal other people. I can be a healing and beneficial presence, and I know that I am, but I don't have the power to heal other people. However, when I join together with other people, like we're joined together right now, uh, I know that healing can happen. And it's just like when Jesus walked the earth and people would have miraculous healings, the blind man can see, the woman with the issue of blood is healed, instantaneously healing, you know, these happenings all the time. And the man who takes up his bed and walks and uh, Lazarus late from the, uh, raised from the dead, all these things happen. But when people would say to Jesus, as it's written in the New Testament, if they said to him, thank you for my healing, Jesus, he'd say, why thank me? It's your faith that made you whole. So I know that I have trained myself to join with other people. I'm grateful and willing to know the truth about them even when they don't. And if they're willing to place their faith in my faith, their faith will make them whole. Because my faith is the same place as their faith. It comes from just simply being willing to recognize on some level, conscious or unconscious, we are the light of God. And revealing the truth by being loving and by choosing to transform our negative thinking into the truth thinking, we are revealing the truth that sets us free. The next one is to dwell in unconditional love, peace, and thanksgiving. I don't see any difference in that and practicing the presence, and as I recall, the people in the room felt that that needed to be delineated, so that's fine. To dedicate ourselves to spiritual unfoldment. Well, to me, if I'm practicing the presence and I'm dedicated to that, then the spiritual unfoldment can't be stopped. And to surrender to divine wisdom in joyous celebration. So many times the ego mind, which tries to understand things and analyze things, is searching for an answer. To me, practicing the presence is when we say, oh my gosh, I've been trying to figure this out, I've been trying to analyze it, I've been trying to understand, why doesn't he or she return my calls? How can I explain this to them? You know, I've been trying to figure out why do I do what I do? Why do they do what they do? How can I get them to do what I want? How can I get my body to do what I want it to do? All these different thoughts that we think about, trying to manage, cope, manipulate, and control, we can surrender those to the wisdom of God. Then what always reveals itself is our higher Holy Spirit self, the I am that I am, It knows. It knows the answer. We don't have to struggle for any answer. 
But the ego likes to be in control, so it likes to try to analyze and figure things out, but it's never going to come to the highest, most loving answer. So why put any more energy into that? When I find myself trying to figure something out, I just go, oh, I got caught. Caught on the ego web. And I can jump right off by practicing the presence, remembering who I am. And that the spirit already knows the most direct, loving, prosperous, efficient, effective, beautiful, harmonious, peaceful way to whatever it is. So I'm going to go that way. Saves time. That's why spiritual practice saves time. We think that spiritual practice takes time. It does not take time. It saves time every day of our lives. Now, the difference between spiritual counseling and therapy. I've never been trained as a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a family therapist or in any of those professions. But I have had, um, I have worked with those people over the years uh, as friends, as uh, colleagues, uh, as a patient, and I, when I was in college, I took some psychology classes, and I read some psychology books. And to me, it's all about trying to understand our human condition. It's all about trying to improve our lives. And a lot of it has to do with trying to understand our personality and to be able to find effective methods of uh, mental healing and emotional healing and behavior modification and oftentimes medication, antidepressants and things like that. So all paths lead to God. There's just nowhere else to go. So it's not that any of that is bad or wrong. Uh, spiritual counseling is really... It's really profoundly miraculous healing and effective when the practitioner knows the truth about the person. And I'm going to give an example of that, and then I'm going to um, see if there are any questions. So um, I had a client come to me many years ago and I may have told this story in your class. I had a client come to me many years ago who had a compulsion that ran their life. And they had never told anyone about it. Not one person. And they... Uh, they, it really it ran their life. It was very debilitating for them. It, it made them feel like they couldn't have any real friends come over their home or spend time with them like that. And they felt bad and wrong and ashamed all the time. And they couldn't stop themselves. And uh, so they felt it had been going on for I don't know, 15 or 20 years, building momentum, as you can imagine. 
And they knew me from Agape and had had some interactions with me at Agape. And they felt like they were ready to make a change and that having a session with me would help them. And they were terrified of telling anyone about how they were living and what they were doing. Tremendous, tremendous shame. And such a strong compulsion. And so they came and we... Now, at that time, I was doing $90 sessions, 90-minute sessions. I don't remember maybe $100 with my fee. It's a long time ago. And literally at about the 90-minute to two-hour mark, and I knew we were just halfway through-ish, and this was going to be a long session, but we were building momentum. They stopped and they said, look, I'm really not even sure what your fee is, and I'm really concerned that I can't afford your fee, and it feels like we should stop now. And I'd like to give you $40, and I'm hoping that that can work for you, and if necessary, I can give you more later, or we can work something out. And I said, if $40 is fine. If you have time now, I have time now, and I can think of no other thing more valuable for either of us than to keep going until we feel there's been a real shift, whatever that takes. And I am 100% in with you if you are in. And so we went for four hours. Now, and, and by the end, there was a shift. And... I didn't do it. I didn't know how to do that. I've never worked with someone who had those issues ever. And I had never worked with someone who had been so entrenched in a mindset and so deeply ashamed. I'd never encountered that. I didn't know how to do it going in. But spirit guided us. Spirit took over. And... I knew I was having a healing by being given the privilege of this person's confidence and willingness. They're, they're you're holding the confidence with them and, and that they trusted me. when they, This had been going on for almost two decades and they had never told anyone. I, that was such a, just an honor to be allowed to hold this with them and that they had just even that spark of willingness on this particular day. How wonderful. What a what more beautiful, precious gift could anyone in this world have given me? You know, a 40-carat a diamond could not have been more precious or more beautiful than her willingness. So when, when, it, when the shift was, hap- when it happened, we felt it, we knew it, and we completed the session, and they left, and I, I just got down on my knees, and I just thanked God. Thank you, God, for my life. Thank you, God, for my willingness. 
thank you, God, for putting me in a position where I can be of service to anyone. I'm just so grateful for everything that's ever happened to me in my whole life because I knew I drew upon it in this moment and that my own willingness not to live in shame, that I could meet her where she was and she could feel it's possible not to live in shame anymore. And I'm just so grateful for every single drop and drip of my life to this moment and that I said yes. I finally said yes to being truly myself and truly of service. No matter how I might still fall down every day, I'm just so grateful for things as they are. Thank you, God. And then literally within a few minutes, my phone rang and someone said to me, hey, Jennifer, you know, we've been doing this work together and I have all these clients and um, I just, and it was this company I was working with where there was a lot of residual income. We would build, we would work with clients over years to build residual renewal income. And this, the, my colleague said, I'd just like to give all my clients to you. And you're the only one I can think of who will really take good care of them. Can I give all these clients to you? Well, it immediately, my, it added at least $2,000 a month immediately into my paycheck. And that continued for years and grew because those clients brought more referrals, etc. Now, part of what I knew was that she didn't have any lack of abundance, nor did I. That was part of the session. And so my affirming that, I knew it had to bring us both abundance. How could it not? And it immediately demonstrated. And then the other thing that I'd like to share with you is from time to time over the course of the next few years, I would see this woman. She lost weight. She looked gorgeous. She, was, she had changed her career. And she was living a, a beautiful life and, and doing things that she never dared dream of doing before. We had one session. That's the difference between spiritual counseling and therapy. Any questions? If there are no questions, um, I feel complete. Well, <clears throat> thank you so much, Jennifer, for your time. That was beautiful. And um, I think that what we'll do is continue this conversation. I know that you um, have a very full schedule, so I thank you for uh, dedicating some of that time to us. And um, and I'll also tell everybody about the ordination that's coming up. Uh, and um, but you don't have to be on the line for that. So I just would like to just say thank you, thank you, thank you. And does uh, maybe one other person have a word of gratitude for Jennifer that they just like to say out loud to the group? 
I say thank you, Jennifer. You've clarified so much, and I do look to you as a teacher, too, and I am so grateful to really have known you. Mm. I feel the thank same you. way about you, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Jennifer, you, Jennifer. Here's everything I needed to hear today. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Just the best uh, things I get is that you are your own self. Shine your light. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. We love you very much. And everybody else, let's take five minutes. It's 11.38. I'll see you back here at 11.43. Um, and we'll continue the conversation. Much, much love. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you. Bye.
Okay, we are back. So, would anybody like to share about anything Jennifer touched upon? Um, and real quick, uh, Mike Murkovich, are you on the call? Yes, I'm here. Great. And Mar, did you hop on? Yeah, I'm here. Beautiful. Awesome. So we're all here. Um, okay, so uh, would anybody like to share about anything that Jennifer talked about? Yeah, I. Uh, this is Jennifer. Um, all week, for about two weeks now, I've been getting kind of bombarded with lessons and doing the non-doing and trying to, you know, meditate and think about what is it to just be the, you know, to just be, right, and to have that being extend out and do the doing, right? And so just listening to Jennifer, I was like, oh, my gosh, like so inspirational. Like I'm totally getting it now because I have this person that I can look at and go, oh, that's what that looks like. So it was super powerful for me. I'm really appreciative to uh, to be able to participate. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Lovely. What is well? What does the non-doing look like for you, Jen? <laughs> I am a doer. Like I am a doer. So I'm having a hard time, kind of coming to this place of just. Letting, you know, so anyway, within my meditation, what I've come to is uh, looking at a practice of self-care and a practice, and and in my meditations, the sort of the message that keeps coming up is like, it matters, like self-care matters, and that's a place for me to start the just being, and out of that self-care, you know, I have to allow the results and the outcomes to unfold rather than, you know, set a goal and go for my goal and create metrics for myself and all this stuff that I'm used to doing. So that's what I'm working on or what I'm getting. Beautiful. So it just looks like doing less and taking care of yourself. <laughs> Lovely. <Exactly. laughs> that's great. Who else would like to share? Um, I would. I'd, uh, <clears throat> um, before I do, I wanted to share a brief story about something that happened to me this week that I think is actually somewhat in line with what Jen just said. But I also just wanted to note that um, I loved what Jennifer had to say about, uh, Jennifer Hadley had to say about, um, you know, these things that we, these exercises, these activities we engage in that are harmful to ourselves and how it's really just about us trying to punish ourselves for misfiring. Um, And uh, it was a very interesting way of looking at that, so I'm going to be chewing on that for a while. Um, I, I, you know, this idea of um, non-doing and also just this ongoing lesson for me about intention versus uh, expectation. I'm also very, uh, I'm very much a doer and very goal-oriented and um, have gotten hung up a lot in my life on uh, being overly concerned with how something's going to unfold as opposed to just letting it unfold as it will. And so this has been something I've been very conscious about, particularly over the past couple of years, and uh, and a real focus of my spiritual practice has been 
being comfortable with detachment from expectation, detachment in general, and just really holding holding the space for the things I'd like to see happen and being intentional about it uh, and just letting it be. And so I had something that felt very major happen for me this week along those lines. I, um, a few years ago, went through a very painful breakup with someone, and uh, it was a long-distance relationship. The person lives in Denver. And uh, I was spending so much time out there during the relationship that it, I was really spending more time there than I was here in L.A., and so it really became home for me. And um, my circle of friends um, was an extension of her circle of friends. And so when the breakup occurred, um, uh, not only did the did that romance end, but many of the people with whom I'd been connected there um, disappeared as well. And... Um, and so there was I was going through a grieving process in terms of losing those people that had come to feel like my extended family. And it would have been enough if it had just been, Oh gee, I'm sad over, you know, the fact that that happened. I'll try to hold on to just the memories of the good times, but it there was some pain around not having those contacts. But then uh, there was this other component in which um I became almost like a pariah to these people and so there was a lot of microaggression and just a lot of weirdness going on. And so it's been hanging in the air for a while. And so this week I'm uh, here working at the house and uh, um, I get a text message from a dear, dear friend of mine, a guy I've known for 30 plus years. And um, he's like a brother to me and I haven't, we haven't laid eyes on each other in forever. And he says, guess what? I'm in LA. And I thought, what? You got to be kidding. So I call him up and I'm like, what's going on? And he says, I'm, it was all very last minute, but I'm in town for this conference that's happening and I would love to see you. And I'm like, absolutely. And so I, you know, give me a few hours. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to come out to see you. Tell me where you are. And he tells me that he's at this hotel. And so I get ready and uh, I log back on to get info from him about where I can actually meet him because it's a large place. And when I do, um, what pops up in my news feed on Facebook is um, two of these people with whom I'd been very close when I was in Denver have just uh, checked into the same hotel for the same event. And uh, I thought, you got to be kidding me. So um, he and I, he gets up with me, gives me the information. I get to the hotel, and I um, I spend uh, the evening with him. He finds a way to get me a pass to participate in the conference for the next couple of days. And so I'm there at the hotel. And there's this part of me that um, it's not overwhelming, but there's this gnaw- little niggling thing in the back of my head that's, fear-based, and that is hoping that I don't run into either one of these women. Um, And I had a moment when I finally just said, you know what, I'm letting go of that. I'm letting go of all of it. Um, I'm I'm building this story in my head about what any of it means, and it has no real meaning. I'm letting go of it. I'm going to focus on enjoying the time that I'm having here with this person I love very much. I'm going to focus on learning 
something from this conference. It's a wonderful opportunity. It's dealing with issues that are near and dear to my heart. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm now able to participate. Didn't have to pay for a ticket. Didn't have to. I'm here. So let me just enjoy that. So one of the days I'm sitting in the conference hall with him and there's this meeting going on and I, I turn slightly to my left and I see that one of these women is sitting across from me. And um, and he looks over and he she, she sort of stands out in the crowd. She has a very distinctive look. And he says, oh, I've been noticing this woman all week. And I said, yeah, that's one of the women I know from Denver. And he says, oh, you should let her know you're here. And I pause for a second and I'm thinking, do I want to do that? And finally, I drop her a text, and I said, I'm, I'm sitting slightly to your right behind you. Um, and she obviously gets the message and, you know, what we see when, the, you know, her reaction to getting the alert. She never turns around. Uh, she just texts back, um, hey there, and then that was it. When the event finishes, she gets up and she walks down the aisle and she has to walk past us, and she makes eye contact with me. And, you know, this is someone with whom I had a very, very close relationship for a year. And she sees me, and she doesn't say hello. She just kind of does a nod of acknowledgement, and she keeps walking by. And I'm I'm very aware that this has happened. I'm also very aware of the fact that had that happened even, I don't know, six to eight weeks ago, I might have had another real story about it. Like I might have really gotten tripped up in my emotion about what did or didn't just happen. And instead, I just kind of had this very quiet voice inside of me that said, okay, well, that happened. That's okay. And um, I'm going to just send love and light and move on. And so hours passed. My friend, who I'm visiting, um, is indignant about this. He's like, I thought this was someone you were friends with. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I mean, she didn't even say hello. She didn't come over and give you a hug. She just, it's just, I just don't understand it. He's very upset about it. And I said, you know, it's really all good. It's really, really all good. And um, so several hours passed. We decide we're going to go down and get dinner. And she texts me and says, are you still in the hotel? And I wrote back, yes. And she says, are you coming downstairs for the reception? And I check in with him, and he says, yeah, I want to go down there. And I said, yes. And she says, when you get down here, um, will you find me? I'm, I'm, where the, I'm in the reception where the band is playing. We get downstairs, eventually connect with her, find out where she is. She meets me, asks me if I want to go outside the hall to speak where it's quieter, and I do. And we go out. She seems very nervous. She's not talking about anything in particular, just making small talk. Um, I knew that she'd been very, very ill earlier this year and had reached out to her during that time. Wanted, I asked her how she was doing. She tells me. And then she says, listen, and her eyes kind of fill up with tears, and she says, um, I wanted an opportunity to look you in the eye and t- and apologize to you for everything that happened a couple of years ago, to thank you for the fact that um, despite the stuff that was being thrown in your direction, you continued to show up with love and light and integrity and to let you know what that behavior has spoken into my life and how it's made me want to show up in a better way and um, be really conscious of the way I move through the world. And... um, and I wanted to tell you that I love you. And she gave me 
this long, deep, warm hug, and there was a big, genuine smile on her face when it was over, and we were able to part, you know, each other, leave each other's presence with that. And uh, and I, I thanked her for, you know, taking the time to come and say those words to me. But I really felt very strongly that so much of what unfolded and how it unfolded had a great deal to do with me letting go of that whole situation and being willing to let it unfold however it would. Um, and it made me extremely grateful for the tools that we are getting uh, in this community, in this class, and just for the gift that spiritual practice is. Beautiful, beautiful story. Um, it really is a gift, guys. Uh, I did a, I spent four hours yesterday lecturing to a uh, group of college freshmen at a performing arts school in uh, uh, downtown. This new, this new program, this new school, it's really cool. And there's about 50 young artists, and uh, I had four hours <laughs> to fill. And I was supposed to talk about healthy living, diets, exercises, stuff like that. I think we spent about 45 minutes talking about food and fitness, and the rest of the time was a, it could have been a practitioner master class, <laughs> spiritual living 101. Uh, without calling it spiritual living. And uh, I was, you know, I, I had to keep going because I heard things that people were saying about how, well, I don't want to say anything kind about myself because I don't want to seem arrogant. Or I don't want to, I can't accept a compliment. Or, gosh, if I could just hear the way that I'm beat, if you could just hear how I beat myself up in my head. Da, 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 da. And so... I was like, oh my gosh, and I, and I actually pitched the idea of like pretty much I pretty much invited them to contemplate the possibility of an enlightened society, like we talk about, where people like a spiritual community, pretty much where we are all uplifting one another, how we're talking to the um, the only speaking to the um, potential and possibility of one another, and they were looked at me like they're like. But that, doesn't that sound, seem like you would just be living in some like a really fake place? Like, like if people aren't, you know, they didn't understand. Like they thought that kindness, in order to be kind, you had to be fake. And, uh, and so it was really interesting, really fascinating. But th I got to tell you, like after each hour, I'd be like, all right, have you guys had enough of this? And they're like, no, can you please keep going? So like, it was the first time, they're like, this is the first time, because it's a very small school, and they're like, we see each other all the time, and this is the first time we, I feel like I'm actually getting to know everybody. And they just wanted to keep going, and we did a lot of different exercises, and we did a lot of different, you know. I gave them all tools that I wish I had when I was a freshman at art school. And uh, it was really a fascinating thing, but that's just piggybacking off of what Patsy said about how grateful that we are, she was to have the tools because, you know, the tools that we, that we are all working on mastering here together, they really do 
give you the keys to the kingdom, you know, really. Like, it is the power of forgiveness. Patsy just gave a gorgeous uh, example of the power, what's available to us when we are willing to practice forgiveness, when we are willing to let go of expectation and uh, willing to let go of attachment to an outcome. Like, what a beautiful example, you know, uh, to be courageous enough to release, to move through the fear of what others think and just be available so you can connect with a friend. So, and the power in holding space for healing, you know, she held the space for healing to unfold and she held it with enough diligence and integrity to where her friend was eventually willing to step into that container. It's really gorgeous. Good stuff, guys. Really wonderful stuff. Um, who would like to, uh, this especially is going to be a conversation more for uh, the first group of practitioners, group one, uh, because it's just in this phase of the game, we're going to start talking much more about spiritual counseling and what that looks like. And also during the retreat, we're going to start really going deep into that kind of stuff. We'll be really working on uh, facilitating workshops. We're going to be working on, uh, you know, the second group, you'll really be practicing some public speaking stuff. Um, we're each going to be doing group uh, facilitation, all doing group facilitations. But we're also going to be talking about what spiritual counseling is and start really practicing it. And so we can uh, start opening it up for you all to practice with people so you can get a specific amount of hours. Um, you can feel comfortable and confident standing in and as a spiritual counselor. So let's open up the conversation about spiritual counseling. Does anyone have any questions or any, did Jennifer answer, give you any sort of insights or clarity about um, about counseling versus therapy? And does anyone else just those of you who have done spiritual counseling versus therapy, what the differences are, what you feel. I know Mina has gone through some training with Jennifer um, as well. So what are your thoughts on spiritual counseling and what do you think is the difference between spiritual counseling and therapy and what do you think your job as a spiritual counselor will be? This is Mike. Um... I find that before my spiritual practice began, I was very much the role of a lot of my girlfriend's uh, therapist. And to me, what that meant was I would listen to their quote-unquote problems and give advice. (laughs) Um, Now that I've found that I'm, you know, know, I'm learning the the philosophies of the truth and, and applying them in my life, I feel like, I take on a role like that, uh, I'm sorry, a role of a, more of a spiritual counselor. And I feel like the difference a lot of the time is is that, like, I, I just ask questions. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, and, it, and it's not necessarily about giving advice because, you know, kind of going along that of the theory of all of our quote-unquote problems are within and not without. So for me to expect that I know the answer and this is exactly what you need to do would be to support, you know, the illusion that the problem is outside of ourselves. And so I just find that to me, like, 
what I've noticed happen in my counseling sessions, if you will, is that I'm asking more than telling. Very good insight, Mike. Very good insight. And why do you think you ask more than you tell? Well, I guess because uh, I, I probably just don't know uh, God's plan, but I trust God's plan, and so it's more of like facilitating an answer than like giving an answer. Yeah, well, that, you hit two really good points. One, we don't know what's best for anybody, okay? That's for them to discover for themselves. We know the answer. The answer is what? What is the answer always, Mike? Love. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's just it. I mean, how, how many how many of our practitioner classes have ended with, um, at the end of the day, just love yourself? Yeah. <laughs> just love yourself. I mean, after it's all said and done, we, just, just, we go back to that same, that one truth is love yourself. Know thyself. Which and to know thyself is to love yourself. So, but when we don't give the answer, and this is something I work on as well, you know, um, when you don't give the answer, what do you give the person who is seeking your counsel permission to do when you don't give the answer? For them to look for the answer. Yeah, uh, and to experience the healing. Exactly, and when you and when somebody looks for the answer, goes in for the answer, what will they find? God, love. Yeah, they'll they'll find the answer. And, and the answer, knows. yeah. Yeah, everybody knows. Everybody already knows. It's just oftentimes the truth, the answer is just underneath all of those layers of beliefs, you know. And so when we go into inquiry, that's why our Byron Katie is hmm. inspired spiritual practitioners uh, will be using a lot of the Byron Katie method in their counseling because it makes you question your beliefs, your bold statements. When you have to stop and ask yourself, well, is that really true? When you have someone talk to you and be like, well, wait, is that true? And then allow you to turn it around so you take full responsibility then you begin to realize so many of your belief systems were just that. They're just beliefs. They don't mean it. And you're just, what make, what's creating pain is that you're making them real. Mm. You're, make, you're, you're believing your thoughts, right? Yeah. So, but it's so much more powerful and the healing is so much more um, uh, effective like when we can discover it for ourselves. And so, by asking questions, we lead the person, we lead the client to discovering it for themselves. And when we discover it for ourselves, there's a much stronger aha moment that unfolds. Because it's experiential. They're experiencing the realization. So it's the difference between discovering something for yourself and reading something in the book, a book and regurgitating it, right? Mm. And I find that when I ask the questions, a lot of times the questions I'm asking, I need to answer myself. 
So it kind of gives me an opportunity to heal, whereas if I'm telling you what to do, I'm not really participating. Oh, <laughs> don't believe for one second that each and every client is not pre-assigned to you to support your healing. Yeah. You know, you're, they, they can only be reflections for you. They're only mirrors. All of your clients are mirrors, always, always. Mm-hmm. And so you'll be like, wow, it seems like every single person is coming to me with money problems. Every <laughs> single person seems to be, like, freaked out about money for some reason. My gosh, I thought I was alone. But, and someone else is like, well, it seems to me that everyone's coming to them about sex problems. They have challenges with sex. And someone else is going to be like, yeah, well, it seems to me that everyone's coming to me with problems about body dysmorphia, you know? And so whatever it is up for healing in you, it will definitely be reflected in your in your clients. And what's really the only only uh, thing that's ever happening? What's ever really the only problem? Not that it's a real problem, but what what are we only ever looking to? Transcend a belief in what? Separation of God. Yeah, exactly. And so that belief in separation manifests itself in many different ways, and that's sort of the trick of the ego: is that we like to make our pain unique. Like my experience is unique. My experience of separation is unique, and really, it's all the separation from God. It's a belief in separation. And so that's why um, it said that all healing, all healing, no healing is exempt from this. All healing is done at the level of the mind, and love is the great healer. All healing is done at the level of the mind, and love is the great healer. Now, can that mean if someone is coming to you with what seems to be a... Uh, you know, a terminal illness, what, that, it, that can mean that they could have a miraculous healing, physical healing, but mm-hmm. what are we really looking to heal in that situation? Uh, the, the fear? Thank, yeah, well, go to Byron Katie, first of all. The belief that one... Um, that, that the thoughts are are real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. But <laughs> what, what, what is the first philosophy of Byron Katie? It's what is, is, right? And oh, so oftentimes, okay. what, oftentimes the first thing that we have to address is what? The belief that... It should be different. Exactly. This shouldn't be happening to me. Well, actually it should be because it is. Right. So that's the first, oftentimes the first belief system that needs to be healed. That's what, that is up for healing. I won't say that needs to be, but that is up for healing. And then the second one is to, you know, this is where A Course in Miracles comes into play, too, is we don't know what anything is for. But we do know that it's always for our greatest good. It's always for mm-hmm. our healing. And so, you know, that might, that's just the container you hold. That's the ground we hold. That's not necessarily what we share with the client because if you're um, talking to somebody 
that has terminal cancer, and you're saying, well, this should, be, you know, this is for your greatest good. This is what da 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 da. That's something they need to unfold for themselves. If we yeah. say it, they might say, well, fuck you're you. You're an asshole. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't, you no. can't understand this. You don't know the Poor pain it. and the money this has cost and all the stuff that da 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 da. And so we, our job is to step back and just say, and also say, we might not know the solution here, but we do know that, one, the only thing that needs to be cured is a belief in separation. Two, we know that love is the great healer. Three, we know that what is, is, and what is, should be. Four, we know that, um, that our greatest good is always unfolding. So if we can hold tight to those four staples and allow that to be the glue that holds together the container, then when people step into it, healing must unfold. Mm. And I love that Jennifer talked about Jesus, about his, the healings, because he said, you know, don't thank me, it was your faith. But even if their faith was faith that Jesus could do it, they believed it. And if nothing else, we have learned through and through and through that what we believe, you know, our beliefs dictate what our experience will be. This is the conversation of spiritual counseling. What the conversation is not and should and what we have to really become um, masterful in avoiding in session is who's to blame, where it began, and going back and really getting into that story. You know, getting into the story of why this is awful. Because that's the piece. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, if you want to finish, you can. Um... I was just going to say that a lot of times people just want to come and get confirmation that their story is accurate and they deserve to be feeling the specific way. And oftentimes they just want someone to affirm that it's awful. What's happening to them is absolutely awful. So um, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, no, that's actually, it's interesting because what I was going to share is um, in a lot of the classes that I've been teaching, um, we've come across this, there's this, uh, it's called the rule of expectations, the, it's called the impact of suggestion. And it's been brought to some of the teachers and people that I facilitate with. And I just think it's a really powerful thing. It just reminds me kind of of what we're talking about, but that we use it in our classes whenever we're um, like teaching, working with kids. And I'll just share the, the first part of it. But um, the rule of expectations, the impact of suggestion. There's a quote that starts. It says, if I accept you as you are, I will make you worse. However, if I treat you as though you are what you are capable of becoming, I help you become that. And so the rule of expectations uses expectations to influence reality and create results. Individuals tend to make decisions based on how others expect them to perform. As a result, people fulfill those expectations, whether positive or negative. Expectations have a powerful impact on those we trust and respect, but interestingly, an even greater impact on perfect strangers. When we know someone expects something from us, 
we will try to satisfy him or her in order to gain respect and likability. And then it goes on to talk about the subconscious, like unconsciously how people do that. But it just reminds me so much of what we're talking about, like as practitioners or spiritual counseling, it's kind of like holding that container. And I just found this so fascinating that there's this whole thing that, that, I mean, it's called the rule of expectations, the impact of suggestion and how, you know, I brought it up in a class that I was teaching because there's this boy who's very, for all intents purposes, um, ADD kind of what he would be considered as ADD. He's always talking and, and drawing attention to himself in class. And I was hearing a lot of people refer to him as annoying or disruptive. And so I came across this rule of expectations and I was like, oh my gosh, like we kind of, people expect him to be annoying or they expect him to be disruptive. And so we trot, like I, you know, we shared this and talked about it and, and how now when we go into the class, it's about looking at him as curious and, and interested and, and intelligent and, the past few classes that we've we've taught, it's been really interesting because he's shifted. Like, it's just like a, there's a difference. And I just think it's really powerful, too, when it comes to what you're talking about as far as, like, if we see clients one-on-one, you know, having holding that same container, kind of having that same philosophy. So I just wanted to share that. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, uh, and what's interesting, too, I think that uh, sometimes that what Chris was just talking about, holding the container, um, often looks like uh, not allowing them to tell that story. You know what I mean? Like, love isn't always, oh, sweetheart, yes, I know. I mean, sometimes it's gentle, of course. Sometimes it's very loving. And sometimes it's like, Nope, not buying it. You know, you can try your hardest to convince me that you are that you are sick, that you have this thing that you need to be treated differently, but I am not going to bend on this. I am holding the high ground for you no matter what. And, you know, we also know and I've talked about this, I, I was just writing about this too, the idea that we're all one mind. And so it's our job to really ground in the truth of everyone because if somebody comes in with a deep, deep, deep-rooted belief system, active belief system that they have mastered over the years, they may not even have to say anything to draw us into their belief system. The experience, uh, the experience I use often is this young woman that was would just irritate the crap out of me for seemingly no reason, like just being around her. And I would watch one by one how everybody in the room would would suddenly get really irritated by her. And what I came to understand was she had a deep-rooted belief system that there was something about her that irritated people. She believed it so deeply that it would manifest as her experience with every room that she went in, and then people would treat her as such. So when I came, um, when I got hit to that, I refused to be pulled in by it. 
Whenever I would feel irritated or agitated by her, I would just affirm the truth for myself. I would affirm the truth about me and about her and about everyone. And I would treat her with kindness and I would, and I would only treat her with respect. And what began to happen is she got so uncomfortable being treated with love, with kindness, not being, not irritating someone that she eventually stopped coming around. Like she wasn't ready to hold that space for herself. It was a really good learning experience for me. And so when we are creating the space for a client to come into, it is so important that we do the prep work for ourselves so that we can be fully prepared. And that is why we, before every session, we do a blessing uh, to begin the session because then we uh, invite the participant into the container. And that's why it's also extremely important that you don't try to sugarcoat what it is that you are doing. You are a spiritual counselor. People can come to you if they are looking for spiritual counseling. Don't try to pretend that you're just a, like a counselor or a therapist. You are a spiritual counselor. You are looking for the spiritual solution. You are holding the spiritual high ground. You are knowing the truth. And you have to have the freedom to talk about spiritual principle in your session. And I've learned that um, challenging way with people who don't want, who aren't interested in any of that conversation. But those are also the people that are 100% committed to staying miserable. They are not willing to do the work. They're not willing to try on, try a new approach. And um, so I learned right off the bat I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to be doing anything other than spiritual counseling. That's what, uh, that is what I, my license as a minister gives me permission to do. Any other questions or thoughts about spiritual counseling versus therapy? And this is going to be an evolving conversation, and we're going to be able to practice this. When we're on retreat, we'll be practicing this live with one another um, and figuring and really mastering the method, an, an hour-long method of spiritual counseling when we sit with our clients. Okay, uh, it feels complete for now. I feel like somebody has a question out there, but uh, if it's not time to ask it, it's not time to ask it. What I would like to talk about in the remaining class time, we have about eight minutes, is um, two things, uh, two events coming up. One, again, uh, with all of you on the line, Venerable Tahani Iwahu uh, will be here Monday, the November 16th, 7.30 p.m. Um, I won't say that this is required, but whatever the paper thin level above required is or below required is, that's what this is. Um, I think that it is essential, essential that 
inspire, specifically inspire practitioners, give themselves the opportunity to sit with Venerable. She is, um, talk about, she's the person that held the original container that Jennifer was able to lean into and now that I am leaning into and that we are all leaning into and growing and expanding. Um, Like Jennifer said, she's the one person that she's ever met that is fully practicing all the time, the most awake person she's ever met. And uh, it is an opportunity for us all to be in the presence of uh, just a clear, clear, clear channel. Um, So uh, do what you guys can do to make that happen for yourself. If you're out of state, um, I'm not sure. I think that she's probably fine with uh, with doing a private streaming for our members alone, but I'll just double-check that, and we'll do that on Skype uh, for those who are out of state um, because I'd like you to have the opportunity as well. Um, so that so make that happen. Uh, if uh, the $30 donation feels... Uh, like a challenge for you in this moment, just talk to me. That's all that's required. That's all that's ever required. Uh, Just come talk to me. And the second thing is on November 22nd, which is a Sunday, uh, we were going to, and I haven't told Amina yet, we're we're switching a little scheduled date. It was going to be on the 21st, but I'm going to just make it easier and combine everything. Um, November 22nd, which is uh, Sunday uh, for our service, the service is going to be uh, an ordination. It will be Inspire's first ordination ceremony. Um, We are going to uh, extend four, count them, one, two, three, four honorary ordinations. So they will be the first four ordained ministers through Inspire. Uh, And that is going to be extended to Jennifer Hadley and myself, and so we will have our ordination ceremony uh, November 22nd, where we will will be a nice, whole nice event and an ordination ceremony. How an ordination ceremony varies from having a ministerial license because a lot of people have their ministerial license, but they haven't had it; they're not ordained. Jennifer, for example, uh, is holds a ministerial license through Agape, but she was never ordained through Agape. Uh, the difference depends on the organization. For some people, ordained ministers have certain rights and can perform certain ceremonies that <clears throat> just licensed ministers uh, don't have the uh, aren't entitled to do. Um, for us, <clears throat> what I'm uh, as it keeps getting more clear to me, the ordination is the ceremony in which uh, you take a vow uh, to do this work as your calling um, and uh, really stand in that. And so once, uh, if those of you who feel inspired to go through the ministerial program, um, at the end of it, you know, you'll, ha- you'll be given a ministerial license. And then um, I'm not sure how we will decide and maybe we'll create that that sort of um, the requirements together, uh, you'll be able to choose if you'd like to go for your ordination. And it doesn't require another year of training or anything like that, but it will definitely require um, taking vows, specific vows, uh, and standing in this work. 
as your life's work, whatever that might look like for you. So I'm sure we'll all get more clear on that. So <clears throat> the first ordination will be November 22nd. Uh, it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and it will be followed by a potluck. And it's going to be a lovely ceremony, uh, and it will be so full of uh, soul food that uh, it will be more than um, more than adequate to be called a celebration service. Um, there'll be music, there'll be speaking. Uh, can uh, there's going to be a few people that speak on our behalf, on Jennifer's behalf, and on my behalf before we take our vows and. Um, some of you, I'm sure, will be involved in the ceremony as well. But I'd like to invite you all who are, if you're in town, to come and participate. And uh, there may be a group prayer for just the practitioners that we'll all do together during the ceremony. Um, but I'd like it to be really special and really um, really heartfelt and from the soul and really uh, an extension of the Inspire community. One of the elders from the uh, el- the, the gay elder circle will bless the uh, bless the ceremony. Uh, Fred Wilkie will be doing that for us on our behalf. The other two honorary ministers <clears throat> are Candace G and Michael Lennox, and they will have an ordination ceremony, I believe, in the spring. And part of their uh, and I'm offering it to them because from the beginning of Inspire, they've been a um, a very deep presence, a teaching presence, a healing presence, a presence that have supported the growth and expansion of this community. And they have both uh, do this professionally and have gone through years and years of training. You know, Candace is a agape practitioner and minister. Michael is also a practitioner and has, a, you know, the healing work that he does. Um, and they are, they've both committed to support me in developing the ministerial program um, as part of their service for their honorary ordination, uh, which I think is very wonderful and generous and makes me <clears throat> very excited about the ministerial program as it, uh, as it begins to express itself. So November 16th is Venerable Dahani, 7.30 p.m. November 22nd, 11.30 a.m. at Inspire is the ordination ceremony for Jennifer and myself. And I'd like to invite, uh, extend an invitation for you all to attend both of you can. And um, yes, do we have any questions about that? You guys are quiet today. All right. Well, if there's no further questions, then let's conclude. Uh, Feeling into this. Amina, why don't you pray us out today? Um, Okay. Thank you for such a beautiful class. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's take a deep breath of love and gratitude together and really just anchoring ourselves in all of the love that's being expressed, all the wisdom that's been expressed, giving such gratitude for this community, for these tools, for the learning and the healing that's unfolding in every moment. 
we make a holy offering of anything that blocks the awareness of this healing, this love, this practicing the presence, anything that keeps us feeling limited or small, anything that is a resistance against using the tools, we let go now. So grateful to let go of all impediments to living in the truth. And we declare our limitless perfection in God, our limitless love, our limitless expansion. We declare our willingness to know the truth. We declare our willingness to work together as a community to heal, expand, and uplift each other. And we share the benefits of this healing and expansion with all beings because we're one. And in gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. So it is. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Beautiful, everyone. Amen. Beautiful. All right, my beautiful pizza. I look forward to seeing some of you tomorrow. And for the rest of you, carry on and shine that light and be the teachers of God out there. And I look forward to connecting with you soon. Love. Love you. Thank you. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.